Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, along with GBB Live and the 3ND Podcast. Find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. Or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is none other than negative Nate Chester. Nate, what's up? Parker, I'm doing great, but you shouldn't be hating on my negativity. My negativity is the best thing for the Grizzlies at the last week is any indication. Do you agree with me on that? Um, I, I don't know if it's – I think it's just more coincidence. But I feel like you deserve to take – when you said you deserve the moniker for this one because you tweeted out that the Grizzlies would not win another game or they would not win a single game until Jaron Jackson Jr. or Brandon Clark are back. And the Grizzlies are two in us since that tweet. And they have won by a total margin of 56 points. <laughs> um, mainly due to the stellar play of John Conchar, Tyus Jones, Josh Jackson, John Morant too. Jonas Valanciunas has been a savage on the rebounds. I thought it was hilarious too. Actually, uh, what y'all should know is Nate texted me earlier Monday morning and he said, John Collins is going to eat the Grizzlies alive, I'm afraid. I was I was at work, so I just I didn't get a chance to really see it. But I, I saw it, but I was like, I don't know what I want to respond to this, to be honest. And then after last night's win, I laughed at the message this morning. Just to remind Nate, like, hey, the Grizzlies won by 30-something points. Jonas Valanciunas had 15 rebounds. So did he really this, Yeah, this was a humbling week for me. I, I'll just go ahead and admit it. And, you know, I can try to save face, shift the narrative, and say I was just trying to reverse jinx things. But that's not true. I honestly believe that they would not win a single game until Jaron and Clark came back. And I think I was in the middle of the Houston game, and I was watching John Car- Conchar and Yuta Watanabe share the court together. And I just thought to myself, there just isn't enough NBA talent at the moment to beat even decent or good basketball teams. But I think you and I both agree now that it was very unfair of me to throw John Conchar in with the Utah Watanabe slander. Um, it's not a coincidence that Utah has hardly gotten any minutes over the last two games that the Grizzlies have won. But they have surprised me to be sure, and I'm more than happy to be wrong. Even wrong to the horrible degree that I was. I mean, to beat the Los Angeles Lakers and then beat another young rising team in the Atlanta Hawks by 39 points on the road. Um, I thought there was a snowball's chance in hell of that happening, but it did. And so here we are. All without Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, and Justice Winslow. 
We keep on saying without Justice Winslow, and I told you this earlier today, I can't really think that way until he actually plays a single minute on the Grizzlies. I really don't even think of him as a member of the team just yet until I actually see him in uniform. It's just weird for me to think that they're missing a core piece of the roster in him when he's never actually played a role or been a piece of this roster before. Eh, I mean, I disagree because in theory, you're you're thinking of it this way. With, jo- with Justice Winslow in there, you're not giving those minutes to Udawana Nambe or as solid as he's been, John Conchar. You're also giving less minutes to Josh Jackson, who has had his flashes. It's easy to forget that he was just in South Haven at the beginning of 2020. It wasn't and, because of his talent that he was in South Haven, though. I mean, yeah, but still. He wasn't, I mean, just like Winslow, he wasn't on the team opening night. Um, Honestly, I'd be fine with cutting Josh Jackson and John Conchar out of the rotation for no other reason than Josh Jackson's inexplicable insistence to throw John Conchar lobs. Um, On the first or second lob, I started to think to myself, you know, maybe he's got some secret hops. He's got that sneaky white athleticism, as we like to say, but he really doesn't. I don't know why they kept trying it. Um, I don't really know either. Um, but yeah, I mean, because in theory, Justice Winslow is a really good secondary playmaker. I mean, he played point guard for a little bit for Miami. He's yeah. legitimately played all five positions. I remember his rookie year, he was getting minutes at center. And then also, too, when Goran Dragic went down last season, Winslow became the point guard. And, yeah. the same, and his three point percentage, so far for this season's like 22%. I don't really take that. Oh no. A grain of salt because he's played 11 games, probably unhealthy for a lot of them, but he also shot 38% on a decent volume. It was like three attempts a game. Uh, the last two seasons, the two seasons before that. So he's also another potential four spacer. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I count it just based off the fact of like, what's being minimized when you bring in Justice Winslow. Because even Justice Winslow at like 70%, it's probably better than what you're getting out of what you have now with your G League guys. Yeah. No offense to fan favorite John Conchar. Yeah, yeah. We would never disrespect John Conchar. And I'm certainly not trying to mitigate the um, impact Justice Winslow can have. Um, like you said, he can guard all five positions on the court. He's a he's shown himself to be a very good um, secondary playmaker and even played point guard for stretches in Miami. Um, the question for whether Justice Winslow can be a truly pivotal long-term piece for the Grizzlies is how comfortable he can get playing off the ball. Because when you have John Morant on the court, the ball is not going to be in the hands of another playmaker for long stretches. The ball will stick to John Morant more often than not. And he showed flashes of being a very good spot-up shooter over the last couple of years. I believe he shot 38% from three, and I'm saying that off the top of my head. I'm not looking at it right in front of me last year. And he did struggle in that way, but he was playing hurt, and he's hardly played this year, so I'm not going to really hold that against him. But Miami and Spolstra were able to unlock him when they started to use him as a primary playmaker. That's when he really started to um, unleash his ability on the offensive end of the court. And can he still do that when the ball is not in his hands to the degree that it was in Miami? That's my question um, as for his time with the Memphis Grizzlies. But we will see on that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. 
I mean, never, never forget that opening night SmackDown. He uh, put up twenty-seven, seven and seven against Memphis. Yeah, guarding him. <laughs> I mean, hey, buckets are buckets. You still yeah, got to go out and get that. But also, yeah. uh, meanwhile, um, before we continue this podcast, I would like to give a special shout out to Malik Beasley in the Minnesota Timberwolves for helping the Grizzlies playoff odds by beating the almighty New Orleans Pelicans on the road. And meanwhile, I'm looking at the New Orleans Pelicans uh, final score tweet, and they're getting ratioed pretty hard right now. 215 comments to 33 retweets to 284 likes. We love most them. Most of them saying, you just lost to Nas Reed. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, have you ever seen Rocky IV? Uh, maybe. I mean, if I have, it's been a while. It's the, it's the Rocky movie where Apollo Creed dies. Okay. Okay, so at the very beginning of the movie, he's fighting uh, Apollo Creed is fighting Ivan Drago, and he's just getting clubbed to literally to death. He ends up dying in the fight, and he's getting smashed in the head over and over again, and his trainer is screaming at Rocky because Rocky is his manager in the fight. His trainer is screaming at Rocky saying, throw the damn towel, throw the damn towel, and someone said that was Naz Reed guarding Zion Williamson tonight. <laughs> but apparently... It, it, apparently, it worked out because they somehow managed to find a way. And with the Pelicans, who were in the midst of the surge to the eight seed, um, they were three games back uh, coming into tonight. Um, to lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns at home under the circumstances is abysmal. That is an absolutely terrible loss. And really... Um, they have done a great job taking care of sub-500 teams even before Zion Williamson came back because they started playing well uh, before he entered the lineup right after MLK Day. And to see them go out, give up 139 points to a Timberwolves team that is missing their starting center that averages 26 points a game, that's crazy. But we will take it. We will gladly take it. And if the Grizzlies beat the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow, there will be four games ahead of the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans. They are currently three and a half games uh, ahead of both of them. And with a certain team beating the Washington Wizards tonight, they will move into the night seed with the win. Parker, who are they? The Sacramento Kings. But also, too, one other fat uh, factor that you forgot to mention is they will also be playing the Dallas Mavericks on the the Pelicans will be playing the Dallas Mavericks on the road tomorrow night on ESPN. So they're coming off a back to back against a Dallas Maverick team that is the second best home team in the Western Conference. So that margin could go up to four and a half games. Yeah, it's um it's not looking good, and like I'm not going to sit here and say um their chances of getting to the eighth seed are extremely low at this point, even if they lose to Dallas tomorrow night. Um, there have been plenty of situations where teams have made up a lot of ground in a very little amount of time over the last couple of years in the NBA. Um, I remember the most drastic example, and I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but um, in, in the 2014-2015 season, um, I believe the Pelicans, well, ironically, the Pelicans were four games back the eighth seed with eight games to go, and they managed to sneak their way in there. So anything can happen, especially with over 20 games remaining left in the season. But it is encouraging that the Grizzlies are going to at least have Jaron and Clark out to – who do they play after the Brooklyn game tomorrow night? So they have 
Dallas and Atlanta back. Yeah. Um, this weekend, so we'll have Dallas on the road, and then they'll have Atlanta at home, and then after that, they'll have uh, two day rest, Orlando at home, and then a day of travel, and then they'll play the Portland Trailblazers on the road. Yeah, they, yeah, they game. could very conceivably have um, Jaron. Probably not Clark, but they could conceivably have Jaron back for the Hawks game. And generally speaking. Um, they're going to escape this stretch without Clark and Jaron mostly unscathed in the standings. After the All-Star break, they had a four-game lead. Right now it's at a three-and-a-half game lead, and it could be a four-game lead if they win tomorrow night. And with all things considered, considering all the adversity they've dealt with over the last couple of weeks, um, you can be really grateful for that. Absolutely. And I wouldn't really even count out Justice Winslow coming back around the same time as Jaron either. Um so as I've been covering Grizzly home games, I get there early enough to where I can see pregame shoot around. Granted, it doesn't tell, doesn't paint the whole picture, but Jaron, what Jaron was an active participant in pregame shoot around Friday and Saturday. Very limited movement, but he was still out there shooting. Uh, Clark was not in pregame shoot around at least for when I was out there. But even for that Laker game, it was pretty early, and I didn't see him out there. And then Justice Winslow has been doing pregame shoot around stuff pretty much since the Portland game. So I mean, I mean, for him, it's probably just like getting back in shape. I mean, he's only played eleven games, and also getting used to all the schemes and um, just a lot of the team concepts. But yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't even be surprised if Winslow's coming back here soon, also. Which again, in theory, another big boost. Yeah. They are definitely in a good place, and uh, we've beat a dead horse to death saying that even if they don't make the playoffs, it's not disappointing. It's still a wonderful season where you've drastically overachieved every single expectation that people had for you, and you're going to be greatly set up over the next couple of years, the core of Jaron, Clark, Ja, and even Justice Winslow and Dylan Brooks now, but they're in a great spot to have success right now. And considering those expectations, considering the adversity they've dealt with over the last couple of weeks, to be in this spot right now is just truly amazing. Um, to see how they're so far ahead of the curve, because we saw um, two nights ago what it's like for a young team to not meet expectations for a season, to be much further behind the developmental curve than they were expected to be. So I thought the Atlanta Hawks were going to be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference this year. And I know they dealt with a lot of adversity. John Collins missed 25 games because of the drug violation or whatever, performance-enhancing drug. I don't remember exactly what it was. But to go 3-22 and 22 without him, you really think the Grizzlies would have done that poorly if Jaron had to miss 25 games? No, they wouldn't. And the Hawks were supposed to be a year ahead of the Grizzlies in their rebuild. So to see the Grizzlies at this point farther ahead of teams that were supposed to be it's truly incredible. It's a testament to every single piece of the roster. It's a testament to how great John Morant's been, Jaron Jackson's development, your boy Dylan Brooks. As one of the sole proprietors of Dylan Brooks Island, you're doing very well right now. And also Brandon Clark and, and Taylor Jenkins, just as much as anybody, to have overhauled the culture, instilled these type of offensive schemes, the prioritized spacing of ball movement and shooting, it's all come together in one cohesive piece, and this is the end result of that. 
Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I did text you about wanting to talk about this whole Hawks thing and them being because you said they're in a bad a bad spot. Um, I do think, like you said, they kind of gotten bitten by the whole John Collins thing, and they're at behind a team that really should have been behind them in the development curve. But I think the thing where the Grizzlies beat the Hawks as far as the development curve, and I've beat this to death, but they brought in veterans that could actually play. Yes. Between Jonas Valanciunas, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill, they they did what they needed to do. Solomon Hill was a solid bench piece, while Jay Crowder was a threat just based off his volume of three-point shot attempts. And also, too, like he played good defense as well. Um, even if you factor in younger veterans such as Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson, you're like that's a pretty good supporting cast around Jaron, Ja, and Brandon Clark. The Hawks, on the other hand, they entered the opening night roster with these quote unquote veterans. And my criteria for veterans is guys that have played more than three seasons in the league. Vince Carter, Evan Turner, Chandler Parsons, Alex Crabb. Alex Lynn and Jabari Barker. It's not good. Yeah, it's bad. And it's about more than just having older veterans and not necessarily older, just three years in the league. It's not about just having veterans as a locker room presence and as a stabilizing presence on the court. It's about having guys who are winners, which is not something you can necessarily say about every veteran in the league. Tyus Jones, uh, final four, most outstanding player, won a national championship at Duke. Uh, Kyle Anderson played at UCLA, got to enjoy great success with the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas was a key member of some great Toronto Raptors teams that that went to the Eastern Conference Finals at one point. These guys know how to win basketball games because they've been doing it all their life. Most of them have been doing it before they even got to the NBA. And when they carry that with them into the NBA and then they bring that to the Memphis Grizzlies, that is the type of presence that you want in your locker room and the type of presence that you want on the court. And the Grizzlies have been able to find guys like that who are high IQ, high, uh, very talented veteran basketball players like Tyus Jones, like Kyle Anderson, and like Jonas Valanciunas. And they're a huge and pivotal part of the Grizzlies' success this season. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's – that's just where I see it. I mean, I think the Hawks have done a decent job correcting their mistakes. They traded uh, Alan Crabb for Jeff Teague, um, and they just added in – no, they added in that Brooklyn pick that they got in the Alan Crabb salary dump. They ended up using that to get Clint Capella, and then they also brought back J- uh, Dwayne Dedman, who they traded Jabari Parker and Alex Lynn for. So they're doing a good job of kind of just – Correcting the course a little bit, and I think it could pay off. I mean, along with Trey, they got – I just really like what they've built as far as the young core around Trey Young. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, obviously, like Trey, generational point guard. Kevin Herter, who lights out shooter, who can also put the f- ball on the floor and create off the dribble. He is way quicker with the ball than I remembered. Yeah, I agree. Um, that type of explosive. Um, I, people often compare him to Clay Thompson. Um, he's just a tall white wing who could shoot, a very easy comp to make. Um, but 
his uh, create his shot creation and just simply explosiveness on the ball really surprised me yesterday. He is a very good player when it comes to shot creation and creating shots for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then despite what pre-draft slander came out, Cam Reddish at least has upside. Um, he's had his sucky moments, but he's also shown some flashes that he could be a good complimentary player next to Trey Young and John Collins. John Collins, 2010 guy already out the gate as in his third year. And then you also have DeAndre Hunter, who kind of projects best as a Trevor Ariza type, but almost like that middle ground between Trevor Ariza and Andre Gudala, whatever middle ground you find there is probably what he's going to be. Yeah. They have plenty of pieces that are going to be a part of a successful young core. I have no doubt that they will have success in the future. Um, but I have gotten some Phoenix Suns vibes from them this season, um, a roster full of young, talented players. And for whatever reason, it, it just has not coalesced and it's something that is tangibly good just yet. And they're still young. They will probably figure it out over the next coming years. Um, I believe I stirred the Atlanta Hawks hive last night by just saying how ridiculous it was for them to lose by 39 at home to a sub-500 team. I don't think that's a very ridiculous or inane statement to make, but it obviously upsetted some members of the Atlanta Hawks fan base, so I apologize to them if I hurt your feelings. But they should be better than this, even without – the more reliably consistent veterans that the Grizzlies have had. They haven't had that all season. They should still be better than this. And when a young core starts to underachieve and you start to wonder to yourself, why is this team full of so many young, talented players not better than it is? Well, that's what the Phoenix Suns, what people have thought about them for five to six years now. So we'll see. I have a lot of optimism about them. I'm not particularly worried about it. As you know, I'm one of the foremost Trey Young stands. I was a huge fan of him in Oklahoma, and he's going to continue to be great for years to come. But them as a whole, they'll probably be fine. But I'm taking the wait-and-see approach with it. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think they'll be fine. Um, And just because I think they're really the only team in the – I take that back. I think so. You know how there's all this like, young talent. I think the young talent in the West outbound kind of is superior to the East. Oh, yeah. I think the only real contender to dethrone the Atlanta Hawks in the near future or in the long term future is Boston, Milwaukee, if they keep Giannis. And then aside from that, I just I don't know. Bill is young, and B and Simmons are both young. But who knows what's going to end up happening? That's why I didn't want to mention them. I don't know what they're going to do. So because Elton Brand is a ticking time bomb, who uh, he organizes his team like he's playing NBA 2K. So (laughs) that's where I am. Yeah. Um, 
I think the problem, and we won't go on a Sixers tangent here, but um, this is not an indictment on the process, and it should not be. The Sixers' problem now is the process never got to be seen to the end. Um, the NBA basically forced Sam Hinkie out because they thought it was ridiculous. Okay, I'm about to go on a short little rant here right now. The NBA basically forced Sam Hinkie out because they thought it was ridiculous for one of their franchises to be tanking for four to five years in a row. Meanwhile, their biggest, most glamour franchise has literally been terrible for 20 years. And they will not force Jim Dolan out. <laughs> the New York Knicks are going to are terrible now, and they will continue to be terrible for years in the future because their leadership is absolutely horrible. Okay, that's the end of my rant there. I just had to get that out. Had to get that off my chest. But Perfect. yeah, um, the process never got to be seen to the end in Philadelphia. And ever since Colangelo came in and Hinky's place, they basically have been <laughs> building around their roster like it is a game of 2K, plugging in pieces that don't necessarily fit very well, and then removing the pieces like J.J. Redick and <laughs> Landry Shamit, who I still can't believe they traded. And you move those guys out, and this is the end result that you have, a very flawed construction of a roster that is not going to make it past the second round of the playoffs. Sir, this is a Grizzlies podcast. I love the NBA as a whole, Parker. I mean, we all do, but it happens. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I wanted to close the show with this because we're running a little bit out of time here. Friday night, the Grizzlies should be able to get the first ever look at John Morant versus Luka Doncic. And I, for one, am excited as... You know, you mentioned I'm a sole proprietor of Dylan Brooks Island. I, I'm a massive Luca stand too. Luca is to me what eighty percent of Connor Dunning is to LeBron James. I say eighty percent because it's not as, not as elaborate, passionate, not as passionate. Yes, but I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am too. Um... I think um, you're not alone in your fandom for Luka Doncic. I believe all white NBA fans are very excited by his continual ascent. Uh, but whether it's John Morant, Luka Doncic, or Zion Williamson, I, for one, welcome our new Southwest Division overlords because there has been there is going to be more talent in the Southwest Division in five years than any other division in basketball. And this is who the Grizzlies will have to be competing with for the next five to ten years. And obviously you take into account saying, oh, man, we're going to have to beat them. Oh, I just made a cardinal sin. Forgive me for referring to the my fandom of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Memphis Grizzlies themselves as we. I am not a member of the team. Excuse me. <clears throat> the Memphis Grizzlies, they are going to have to contend with teams like the New Orleans Pelicans and the Dallas Mavericks not really the San Antonio Spurs because they are more than content to pursue mediocrity uh, until the end of the world, I guess. Um, who knows what will happen with the Houston Rockets of the next five years. But it is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Zion, Luka, Jaron, Heldro, Lonzo, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks. It'll be crazy. Brandon Ingram. Best division in basketball over the next five years. I really don't have much doubt about it. Yeah. Um, 
calling this right now. I did text you about this. This is going to be a project that I'm working on for GBB. So thank you for a little preview there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I obviously 100% agree with everything you just said. I also, I like a little bit of the similarity with John Lucas. I think the narrative is similar to a different extent. So think about this. Let me paint you a picture real quick. A player starts out the year just setting the NBA on this rookie comes in, sets the NBA on fire and early in the season, November, December, that rookie of the year race is become like, Oh yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely this rookie. He's been killing it all year. And then all of a sudden in late January, February, another candidate starts playing super well, almost out of his mind. And they're like, well, maybe he should win it. When, the other guy that's been playing awesome all year was getting the rookie of the year recognition, getting all-star, a uh, little bit of clamor there. And now I, now they want to make it a race. What's happening with Jaw and Zion, it's like that Luka and Trey race from last year, except the difference is Zion's played 15, 16 games. But you remember, there was those clamors like, oh, should Trey win rookie of the year over Luka? When Luka was averaging 21-7-7 all season, while Trey just went balkers after the calendar year flipped. Yeah, and I think Trey had more of a case, a more compelling case that Zion even has this year because I think I told someone this on Twitter here recently, Zion could literally cure cancer and guess what? He still only played the 15 games, and I'm giving him Rookie of the Year. And there's precedent for that. And the main argument for Zion has pretty much been um, there's never been a rookie like him. Like, he has been an overwhelming dominant force of which there – if if there has been a rookie like it, Shaquille O'Neal. But outside of that, there's really been no precedent for what he's been doing statistically since he entered the Pelicans lineup. And I would really only buy that lineup thinking, and I don't even necessarily disagree with it, but I would only buy that lineup thinking after 15 games if the Pelicans, if he had just transformed the Pelicans into this absolute nightmare of a team overnight, like if he's played in 15 games to the Pelicans and they were 13 and two with him in the lineup, when I take a look at that roster, I would still give it to Ja, but that would make me second guess myself just a little bit. But they lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves at home tonight. Um, I know before the All Star break, they were six and four with him in the lineup. That was about their record before he got into the lineup in the previous 10 games before he joined it. It doesn't impress me. It really doesn't. I'm highly impressed by what he's been doing individually, and I think he'll be an all-NBA caliber player next year, an all-star, and the Pelicans will definitely be in the playoffs next year. He's going to be a generational talent for years to come. But there's no debate. There's no discussion. There's no argument that needs to be had, even though we've been arguing and discussing this right now. John Moran is the rookie of the year. There is no debate. There is no discussion about it. That's just it. At least Trey Young played an entire season. And Trey Young, even though he was far greater in the second half of the season, he had flashes in the first half of the season to show the type of player that he would become. And he played the whole season. But 
there's just no argument here. There just isn't. Yeah, I mean, I feel like too it's become. This is like one of the last things I'll say about it. I think it's becoming more of a talking point now, where all these figureheads, like we've had Jalen Rose say it, Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo both said it on the Bill Simmons podcast this week. Kendrick Perkins is saying it. Shannon Sharp saying it. All these national heads are saying it's Jaws Award. He's not going to lose it. And I think that's becoming more common. I think everyone just got really excited that Zion was here and he's he's doing great stuff. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, like young Shaq, but also Blake Griffin when he was a rookie. Yeah. And, but again, there's precedent. And if Joel Embiid is not going to beat a Malcolm Brogdon who averaged 10, 4, and 4 for rookie of the year because he played 31 games, then Zion shouldn't beat a guy that is averaging 17 and 7 on an overachieving on an overachieving team while gaining all-star talk throughout the season. He's having a generational rookie season. John Moran is one of two players in NBA history to average 17 points and seven assists while shooting 49% from the field. The other one is Magic Johnson. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's really no way that you can downplay that. John Moran is no Malcolm Brogdon. He's the best rookie point guard in the last 20 years when you take into account uh, his statistical production and the fact that he has led an overachieving team into the playoff race right now. He's the best rookie point guard in the last 20 years. And 10 to 15 games to Zion Williamson simply doesn't discount that. Yes. And so we are about running out of time. Nate, do you have any final, final thoughts? I really don't. I'm excited. I'm glad to be wrong um, on matters of my negativity, and I'm excited to see what the Grizzlies will do for the rest of the year. Same here. All I'll say is uh, shout-out Malik Beasley. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yes. Yes, and so, Nate, where can everybody find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find me on Instagram, if you feel so inclined, at BigNateC underscore 22. You can find me at Facebook at NathanChester. Mm-hmm. Parker, what about you, man? So you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read our work at com. Follow that on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or any other streaming service, like, subscribe, download, whatever it is, just do it to gas up a homie. And that is all, folks.